If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you will be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. In today's fast-paced world, joy can turn to despair in mere moments. Aren't you glad the God of miracles is with you in every moment? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah offers biblical advice on how to respond to God when he brings you through a season of despair. From the series, Elisha, the Double-Blessed Prophet, here's David with the conclusion of The Ups and Downs of Life. So let me ask you this question today as we begin uh, do, do you have those in your life, ups and downs? Well, let me tell you something. If, if you're married and you have children, you have ups and downs because that's just the way life is. You cannot control that. You cannot make your life always be on a straight line. And then the question is, how are you doing when you're up and how are you doing when you're down? It seems to me that uh, when we're on the mountaintop, we're in more jeopardy than when we're in the valley. Because we think it's something we did and we get arrogant and then we start making foolish mistakes. When you're down in the valley, you you know you need God and you cry out for him. And sometimes I think God lets us experience each of these moments for the particular thing he's trying to teach us in our life. That was true in the life of Elisha. And it is true for us today. Friends, during this month, we're making available our September resource, which is Moving Toward Hope. The calendar for 2022 begins in November of 21, includes November and December, places for you to write all of your events and schedule all the things you're doing in this busy time of the year. It's beautifully uh, presented. It's filled with color, and you'll love it. You'll love having it. And uh, we want to send it to you. It's our way of saying thank you for your continued investment in the ministry of Turning Point. You know, it's your financial hope and help that makes this possible. When you give, it makes it possible for us to teach. We're so thankful for all of you. We always want to be mindful of ways in which we can add value to your life. This calendar will grace your home, encourage your heart, and help you to keep moving toward hope. So whatever you do, be sure you ask for this calendar to be sent to you when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of September. Well, um, I hope that's the direction you're moving, and let's go back and finish up what we started yesterday as we talk about the ups and downs of life. Can you relate to Elisha? Boy, I can Often when we set out to help others, we bump into problems that are too big for us to handle. We become aware of our limitations, that we have little idea about what God is doing. Sometimes we fall into the trap of saying, I know just how you feel when we don't even have a clue. It's in these times that we should learn to follow Elisha's lead. As one author reminds us, Elisha shows much wisdom in dealing with this distress He didn't have an answer, and he was honest about it. Some Christians assume they have a gift for always knowing the solution to all the distresses of other people, 
And they would do well to catch Elisha's humility and just be quiet. Often we don't have a clue about what God is up to in some believer's trouble. How liberating to confess, God has hidden it from me and has not informed me. But if Elisha's feeling confused, think about the Shunammite woman. She's not confused, she's disappointed, and she feels betrayed. She had been given a son only to have him taken away from her. What do we do when we're disappointed? And it seems like the disappointment has come from God. We're standing at a fork in the road at that moment in our relationship with him, and we can choose one path that leads away from him and one that leads toward bitterness. Or we can choose the other path that moves toward him and ends in a better, more healthy soul. Here is how one author describes this dynamic. Clinging to the man of God is in some measure clinging to God himself. Not that Elisha was divine, but he is God's authorized representative. And so when she has recourse to him, it is as if she has recourse to God. So where does she turn? Where can she go? Only to the same God who has perplexed her. There is no one else to whom she can go. What can you do when God's mercy turns to malice? Take the bitter distress and in it keep clutching at the God you don't understand. We have a word for that, men and women. We call that faith. When you don't know what's going on, the one thing you do know is that God is good and that nothing happens to us that does first of all pass through his loving fingers. And while it may feel so painful at the moment, oftentimes God is at work in our lives and we do not know what has happened. Like Elisha, he has hidden it from us. But one thing has not been hidden from us and that's the goodness of God. And frankly, when you don't know what to do, what else can you do but hang on to the God you know who knows you? In an interview about his book, The Folly of Prayer, author and pastor Matt Woodley told a story about his friend Teresa. After marrying the man of her dreams, Teresa had dropped into the abyss of a deep depression. Everything went dark in her mind and body. Matt had no answers or solutions for her. Three years ago, he said, I would have been so clever and powerful, but now I could only sit with her in her pain. One day, as he visited Teresa at home, Matt said, Teresa, I have no idea what to say, so could we just read the Psalms? Then he read Psalm 77, a psalm of lament, and then he went home. But a week later, another leader from their church visited Teresa. She was still suffering, but when the leader asked if he could pray for her, Teresa said, yes, but before you pray, would you please read Psalm 77? I have been hanging on to it all week. It's my lifeline to God. Apparently, when we read Psalm 77 in utter powerlessness, Matt said, God showed up in her life with power. Don't let life's disappointments distance you from God. Let them drive you to God. Cling to him. Take your bitterness and disappointment to him. And as you draw near to him, you will come to trust him in a new and deeper way. When you seek God in the middle of your disappointment, he won't make you bitter. He will make you better. So when God delights you, enjoy him. 
When God seems to disappoint you, seek him. And when God delivers you, don't forget to thank him. The story isn't over. When Elisha heard the woman's complaint, he immediately sent his servant Gehazi ahead to Shunem. And when Gehazi arrived at Elisha's guest house in Shunem, he laid Elisha's staff on the dead child, hoping to revive him. But there was no response, no sign of life. Moments later, the prophet Elisha arrived and listened to what happened next. Verse 33. Elisha went in, shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands, and stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house, and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. The miracle is described in the briefest of terms. Alone in the room with the dead boy, Elisha prayed to the Lord. Then he spread himself on the body, mouth to mouth. And when the boy's body grew warm, Elisha stepped away for a time. Then he returned to stretch out on the body again. And the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. God heard Elisha's plea for help. And the boy was miraculously raised to life. And I have to tell you, that had to have been the coolest seven sneezes anybody ever heard in one's life. I think the writer of Hebrews may have had this episode in mind when he wrote of the Old Testament saints, Hebrews eleven thirty three, through faith women received their dead, raised to life again. After Elisha raised the boy from the dead, he called the Shunammite woman into the room to witness what had happened and to receive her son back from the dead. And verse 37 tells us how she responded to all that had happened that day. So she went in and fell at his feet and bowed to the ground, and she picked up her son and went out. The New Living Translation puts it this way. She fell at his feet, bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude, and she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. Overwhelmed with gratitude. Have you ever been overwhelmed with gratitude? Something has happened so amazing. It's almost beyond your ability to say thank you in terms strong enough. You know, sometimes we make the mistake of saying to people when we ask them to pray or when we pray ourselves, we say something like this. And we'll be careful to give you the thanks for your answer to our prayer. How many of you know that's a dangerous thing to say because we're not very careful to do that? We take the answer and go on our way. This woman could not do that. She knew that Elisha had been God's connecting point to her and she went to find the man of God and she fell down on her knees and she overwhelmingly, gratefully expressed her thanks. I remember reading a book by one of my favorite authors who is no longer with us. His name is Lewis Smeads. He had this to say about the experience of gratitude. It was then that I learned that gratitude is the best feeling I would ever have. The ultimate joy of living. It was better than watching your daughter graduate from college, 
better and deeper than any other feeling. It is perhaps the genesis of all other really good feelings in the human repertoire. I am sure that nothing in life can ever match the feeling of being fully, totally, completely grateful. You know, folks, we need to learn how to be that. We need to learn how to practice gratitude and be fully and totally and completely grateful. We have so much that God has done for us, and it is so important that we learn how to say thank you. So there you have it, from delight to disappointment to deliverance. What an up-and-down roller coaster of a ride this woman was on. You might remember earlier, Elijah had performed an almost identical miracle when he raised a widow's son who had died in Zarephath. In other words, Elisha now has done the same miracle that his mentor did, Elijah. Now go to the New Testament and Luke chapter 7, just miles from the town of Shunem, in the village of Nain, Jesus met another woman, a widow who had lost a son. And like the Shunammite, this widow received her son back from the dead. So with the widow of Zarephath and the Shunammite woman and the widow from Nain, we can say with all the saints, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we close our Bibles on this emotional story, there are two core principles that I want to leave in your heart. The first one is this. Miracles are about problems. As long as this woman's son was living, she did not need a miracle. But when he died, a miracle was her only hope. Think about that as you consider all the miracles of the Bible. If Pharaoh had let the people of Israel leave Egypt at Moses' request, there would not have been any need for the miraculous plagues. If the million-plus Israelites who were fleeing from Egypt and being chased by Pharaoh's army could have escaped through the Red Sea, they would not have needed God's miracle that rolled back the waters of the sea and then drowned the Egyptian army as they tried to follow. In the Old Testament, miracles always happened because of problems. If there was not a problem, there was no need for a miracle. Let's take the New Testament and the miracles of Jesus. The Gospel of John records seven miracles that Jesus performed. And in each of the miracles, it was the result of a problem. The first miracle took place at the wedding of Cana in Galilee. When the host of the wedding ran out of wine for the celebration, Jesus was summoned and six 30-gallon water pots were filled with water and Jesus turned all that water into wine. A nobleman came to Jesus reporting that his son was sick unto death. Jesus sent him home telling him, that his son was being healed as they spoke. First the problem, and then the miracle. A man had a 38-year-old infirmity, and no one seemed to care. Jesus saw and said to him, Take up your bed and walk. First the infirmity, then the healing. At one of Jesus' teaching events, the crowd of about 15,000 had need of food. They had been together all day, and there were no nearby food sources. So Jesus took the lunch of one little boy and multiplied it into enough food to feed the whole multitude with 12 baskets full left over. 
First the hunger, then the miracle. One night the disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee when a storm came up that threatened to drown them all. Jesus walked on the water to them, entered their boat, and calmed the sea. First the storm, then the miracle. Jesus came upon a blind man who had been blind from his birth. Jesus told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and he was instantly given sight. First the blindness, and then the miracle. Finally, Jesus was called by Mary and Martha to come to their home because their brother Lazarus was very ill. When Jesus finally arrived at their home, Lazarus had already died. In fact, he'd been dead for four days. Jesus stood outside of his tomb and he called, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth alive. First the death and then the resurrection. First the problem and then the miracle. I say all of this to you to tell you that your impossible problem makes you a candidate for a miracle. If you don't have any problems, you don't need any miracles. But I want to tell you, sometimes you need to just take the perspective of the Bible and realize there are no miracles in the Bible that aren't preceded by a problem. And whatever you may think about the nature of miracles, let me remind you of a couple things the Bible says. Job, in the last chapter of the book that bears his name, speaking to God, he said, I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jeremiah said it this way, Oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. And Jesus said, With God, all things are possible. And the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. When I was growing up in Sunday school years ago, I was taught this little chorus. I don't remember the verse, but the chorus went like this. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He'll do for you what no other one can do. I'm here to declare that God is the God of the impossible, that nothing is too hard from God. God can do anything. Somebody said, do you believe in God doing miracles today? Yes. I believe I have witnessed several and heard about others. Here's the thing you need to know about miracles. God is a miracle-working God, and he can do miracles Unfortunately, we don't get to schedule them. Amen? We don't get to say, God, you have to do this miracle. God is not obligated to do anything for us. But just like my friend E.V. Hill, who just once in a while took a book and threw it out in the congregation, once in a while God does a miracle, and you may be the next one waiting in line for God to show his strength and power. Never lose hope in God. You may not know what the prognication is, but you can know that God is in charge of the verdict. And God is the God of the impossible. The last thing I want you to see from this passage is this. Miracles are about problems, but miracles are about more than problems. As you come to the end of the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus has performed these seven miracles. The gospel calls them sign miracles. 
In other words, they were done not just for the person who was benefited by the miracle, but to teach us something. Here's what we're supposed to learn from these miracles. John 20. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but listen carefully. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Why did God do all these miracles through his son Jesus to prove who Jesus was, to prove that he was indeed the divine Son of God? He did things that were impossible for others to prove who he was in the book of John. The whole purpose of the book is to prove the deity of Jesus Christ. You say, how does that translate to us today? Let me ask you a question. What is the greatest, most powerful, modern-day miracle that God is doing and he is continuing to do it? I'll tell you. It's the salvation of a man's soul. All the miracles of the Bible, almost all of them, are temporal in nature. I've always thought about Lazarus, what a poor man he was. He had to die twice. He got raised from the dead, then he had to go die again. But you know, when you get saved and you become a Christ follower and your sins are forgiven and Jesus Christ comes to live within your heart, that is a miracle that never ends. It goes on for eternity. It takes you from where you are to where you want to be in the presence of Almighty God. So every time we see God do that in someone's life, it is a reminder to us that he is the one who alone can change a person's life. It is so amazing to me to see the power of that. Some weeks ago, Don and I went back to the church we started and it just had its 50th anniversary. One of the joys of being there for me was to see the result of what God can do in the heart of a person. I had the opportunity during my time there as a young pastor to lead dozens of people to Jesus Christ. Now, you may think, well, that's probably just something that was for a moment. They surely aren't going to be around 50 years later. No, their children and their grandchildren are around. Many of them are in Bible college. Many of them are serving the Lord. Some of them are teaching in the school that we started. How did that happen? Almighty God got a hold of their dark heart and brought light and salvation to them and changed them from the inside out. Is there any greater miracle than the miracle of salvation? I don't know what it would be. And I'm here to ask you this question. Have you experienced that miracle in your life? Do you know what it means to have old things pass away and all things become new? Do you know what it means to pass from death to life? If you don't, you're a candidate for a miracle. And that's the miracle of the new birth. And if you will ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, you can receive your very first miracle It will change you from the inside out. You will never be the same. People will notice there's something unique and different about you because Jesus Christ has come to take up his residency in your life. Will you put your trust in him? Will you allow him to perform that miracle in your life? Well, I hope that you hear the the earnestness in my voice. More than ever before, in all the years that I have been a pastor and teacher, I am burdened for people 
who do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am praying that as you listen to these messages, the Spirit of God will work in your heart and you will make the decision to put Jesus Christ on the throne of your life and ask him to come and forgive you of your sin and become your Savior. You can do that wherever you are. And if you do, and you let us know, we'll send you materials to help you get started right. We have some special booklets that we have created for people who have just received Christ, and we'd love to send them to you. Ask for them when you write to us or go to our website. Tomorrow here on Turning Point, we're going to teach a rather famous miracle from the Bible. It's called the Healing of Naaman. And uh, it's found in Second Kings chapter 5. We'll be there tomorrow as we open our study hall here at Turning Point. I hope you'll join us then. In the meantime, if you haven't already asked for your calendar and sent your gift to Turning Point during the month of September, I hope you will do that. Also, uh, we're asking you to pre-order the book that comes out in October, Where Do We Go From Here? Just another little reminder that if you do that, we have some special ways we can say thank you for doing it. This is a busy time here. Lots of announcements, lots of things going on. I probably don't give all of them uh, the right amount of uh, emphasis, but you listen over the week and over the month and you'll hear it all. And we'll see you right here tomorrow. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2022, Moving Toward Hope, filled with scriptures and images to encourage your walk. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Elisha, the Double Blessed Prophet, here on Turning Point. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Whenever I come across a collection of quotations from famous people about the Bible, I notice that most of those quoted are from prior generations. Granted, the dead are more often quoted than the living, 
But I am still struck by how many past presidents and military leaders promoted the Bible's importance in the life of our nation. And then, when I look at the way our nation has changed in recent decades, I wonder if there is any correlation between how our leaders view the Word of God. I can't help but believe that greater attention to God's book would make a difference. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover the relevance of God's Word on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.